Well, thank you, Kelly. Let me raise my stand up here. Well, Merry Christmas. It's good to have you guys here at Restoration. I'm excited to, to uh, close out our Advent series as we move towards Christmas. And another thing I want to mention really quick before we move in there is this past Friday, we dropped off nine um, Christmas care packages, stockings and these bags with toiletries and with um, underwear, socks, um, and a Bible and a journal for the guys at the Revive Life House. And so another opportunity that you guys took and were extremely generous. So thank you all for bringing stuff. We just basically have a, a continuous stream of generosity in this church that is stunning. As I was sitting and watching that video the first time, I was just like, I can't believe we did all this stuff. I mean, we're not a big church. We're not. Um, but, but man, we have big generosity and a big mission. So I'm so grateful for you guys and the way you have given yourself to the mission of God in this community. It's, it's amazing to see. Well, it's Christmas Eve, Eve, um, or as Hannah likes to say, Christmas Adam. Let's pray. Just kidding. Um, we're honored that you've spent this day with us. I know as, as this season has come about, it's so busy. And even if you're like standing still during this Christmas time, doesn't it seem like inwardly you're busy too? Like you're just running around in circles inwardly. And Advent is intentional in this season for slowing us down and teaching us how to wait, teaching us how to express our longings and hopes for what is ahead and to wait on God to come through to wait on him to take that next step. And that's why we don't move directly into Christmas, directly into celebration. It's because Advent is an incredibly important part of the Christian calendar where we stop and say, I am not the center of the universe. I am not completely spiritually or any way self-sufficient. I am waiting on God to come through, to come through for his promise. And as followers of Jesus, what we believe is the ultimate promise that we receive in Christmas is, is Jesus, his birth. And that promise has the power to transform our present. That's what our, our whole series has been about. We have a promise in Jesus that no matter our circumstances in the current surroundings we're in, we have a promise, something out ahead of us, a hope that can transform our present. And today, even though we're a few days early for Christmas, we're going to move into Christmas and celebrating that. I don't know what your experience is with the Christian story or with Christmas in general. I know that we have a problem, especially in the Bible Belt, uh, the kind of the tyranny of the familiar. We're so familiar with stories in the scriptures, um, some of us, and so familiar specifically with the Christmas story that it almost can cause us to be blinded to the, the radical nature of the story and what we actually need to hear from it. Maybe you have only heard Linus's monologue in Charlie Brown Christmas, or, or maybe, maybe you've grown up around church. I don't know. Maybe you've, you're hearing, hearing this for the first time today. I hope you are because it's an incredible story to hear for the first time. Whatever that may be, all of us, whether you have followed Jesus for 40 years or you just showed up here today because someone drug you here out of your will, Let's see, hear this afresh. Let's hear this anew maybe for the first time. So we're going to look at Luke 2 as we read earlier. 
And we see a description of this arrival of Jesus. And it's not like you would imagine because Mary and Joseph, they're poor teenagers coming from a poor rural town and they're traveling during the last days of her pregnancy, which I can imagine is awesome. I've traveled in a car with a pregnant woman and it's not great. I can't imagine riding on a donkey. And so they're traveling this long, long journey to Bethlehem because of this census and this baby is born in the stable. He's placed in a feeding trough of animals. And, and he's in this obscure place wrapped in these clothes. And everything about this seems so unnoticed and so unheralded for what is actually taking place. But that's about to change here. And we're going to look specifically starting in verse 8. These people called the shepherds. If you don't know anything about the shepherds, besides the fact that they were taking care of sheep, at that point in, uh, in history, they were the lowest of the low. No one thought anything good about shepherds. They were the lowest in society. So another point of why in the world is God choosing to reveal himself this way? Let's look here in verse 8 in Luke 2, beginning there. It says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over the flock. And then the angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them all, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. It will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. And so it wasn't enough to just have one angel, that's terrifying, show up and tell you this amazing news. But then it says the heavenly host. Now that's not Englishy words we use. We think of hosts, we think of the person that greets us at Applebee's. No, this is not what's happening here. What this is, the angel host is actually the army of angels. So not only is this just a angel showing up, it is an entire army announcing the arrival of Jesus. That's utterly terrifying, I would imagine. And there's only really one reason why an army shows up to announce something. And that's because maybe there's something royal happening. Maybe there's something that's, that's happening that involves a king. And maybe this makes the Christmas story a whole lot more seismic and, and subversive than we actually know because in the places of the princes and, and, and the princesses, there's poor Jewish teenagers. Instead of a royal court and a palace, there's, there's these smelly shepherds and there's this stable. And instead of all of the things you would expect for a king, nothing really adds up in the story. And so why would the heavenly armies announce such great grandeur of a king arriving if there was something so in our world upside down about this? Somehow, some way, this baby in this manger, in this time, in this place is good news. That's what they announced to us, that this is good news of great joy. And if I'm coming, if I'm coming to save the world, that's not how I'm drawing it up. I'm rocking tanks, coming down from the sky, you know, whatever it may be. If I'm, if I'm taking over, if I'm bringing a new kingdom, I'm coming with power. And the way that this king is coming with power 
is utterly upside down from what we experience. Could there be anything more vulnerable than coming to the world as a baby boy born to poor teenagers in the middle of nowhere? Imagine the vulnerability. And the way they came is so important. The way they came is the message of Christmas. And to understand the message of Christmas in general, we need to understand this message and how it arrives. It's not just what's being said, it's how it's being said. So in 1963, there was this Canadian uh, professor of communication who's a theorist. His name is Marshall McLuhan. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of him before. But as, as TV was starting to come on the scene and, and media was changing forever, instead of all of this, uh, this story being about what you hear on the, on the radio, it was coming into TV. You were starting to get news. And, and he was thinking about how we communicate, how we see the world through the eyes of our communication. And he came out with this book based on this concept, which is basically this. The medium is the message. In other words, how we say our message in, in communicating is at least as important, if not more important, than what we're actually saying. And he's actually accredited with, with kind of predicting the internet and seeing that we, we were going to a place where, where the way that we see the world connected together the medium would become the message. And that uh, picture that Marshall McLuhan gives us is a perfect picture of not only the Christmas story, but the Christian story itself. There's certainly a message that Jesus is bringing us in Christmas, but, but it's not just the message. It's how that message arrives that gives us the real picture of this new reality, this new kingdom that's being born into the old one. And unlike the kingdoms of this world, this kingdom isn't driven by power. It's not driven by tanks. It's not driven by armies, at least not the worldly power that we're used to. It's not all also driven by religion. It's not driven by things we have to do or should do. It's driven by love. Love for God, love for neighbor, love for our enemies, and in his life, in his death and resurrection, that kingdom of love is unleashed onto the world. And this is what we call the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus is announcing, not that he is coming to slam us on the head with a lightning bolt. He is coming to lay down his life for us. And that that kind of power is the kind of power that actually changes the world. That may be a message we need these days, I would throw out there. But Christmas teaches us that the gospel is not a set of beliefs. It's not simply this doctrine that we believe in. When God wanted to bring us good news, he didn't give us a book he didn't give us a new philosophy. He did not give us a new way of understanding religion. When God wanted to give us good news, what did he give us? He gave us a person. What does God have to say to the world? Jesus. The message and the medium of Christianity are inseparable. Jesus is what God longs to say to the world. Jesus is what God longs to say to you.
We have a theological word for this that comes about especially around this time of year, and that word is incarnation. And the incarnation means that the good news that God became human, that he took on human flesh with all of its struggles and all of its limitations. In John 1.14, it says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God's word, what God was speaking to us, what God longed to say with us, instead of giving us a book or a religion, he gave us himself. He gave us life in the flesh. And in a very real sense, the medium became the message and the message became the medium. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is what he is speaking to us. It's what he is longing for us to see in him. Jesus even says during his time on the earth, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you want to know what God is like, you don't have to ask anymore. Jesus says, my character, the way you see me in the gospels, this is what God is actually like. And that's good news. That's really good news because there's a lot of bad pictures of what God is like. There's a lot of bad Christian pictures of what God is actually like. And Jesus reveals this is what he's actually like. And he Wright says this as he's speaking on this passage. He says the, the Christian story of incarnation, John's story of incarnation, doesn't leave you with a generalized vague sense of divine presence, but with a single human being embodying in himself the personal life and love of the personal God and carrying the world's sorrows and pain all the way to the cross. I want you to hold on to that word embodied. Embodied. That's so important because we believe in an embodied faith. A faith that doesn't stay in hypothetical terms. It doesn't stay in intellectual theory. It doesn't stay in the way that we see just these things ourselves. And that's so important in this time because we live in disembodied times. We live in excarnational times. We have developed technology that does the very best to keep us from ever have to interact with anyone else. We can live our life utterly on our own now. We order our groceries online. We go to the bank online. Some of us watch church services online. We rent movies online. And we curate this perfectly man manicured version of ourself on our social media that makes us look like we think we actually are. And yet, as we are sold this story that we are more connected and more together than we've ever been before, the rates of anxiety and depression and loneliness in this country are skyrocketing. And they're literally killing us. The American Psychological Association reported recently that over 42 million Americans suffer from chronic loneliness. And that loneliness itself is at least as dangerous and maybe more dangerous than smoking. Wow. In England recently, the prime minister launched a commission on loneliness to tackle the fact that 20% of the adults in the country feel lonely at all times. In Japan, as much of our technology has developed over there in Japan, they have companies now that actually allow you to rent fake families. For up to three years. I'm not joking. 
Because people are so lonely that even the appearance of their loneliness will not be up to par. And so they rent dads and moms and sisters and brothers and even kids to walk around with them and make them feel like they have someone. And we're being sold this narrative that everything that we're being given in this world is is giving us more connection than we ever have. But there's nothing that can be further from the truth. We live disembodied lives. We're taught to live lives outside of our bodies, outside of our true selves. And we've never been more disconnected. And this is true in our spiritual lives as well. In a disembodied world, uh, you know, being a Christian is, is just one of many competing worldviews in our, in our global landscape, right? Like we, we have all these different ideas about religion and philosophy, and there's, it's just one of many religions that we're told to understand. And from that viewpoint, uh, we just basically stand in our isolation, stand in our loneliness, and then we're taught, what we're taught to do is just pick and choose what, what forms the type of religion that we actually want to experience for ourselves. So if we like Christianity's love and justice, we take a little piece of that. If we like Buddhism's mindfulness and meditation, we take a little piece of that. If we like the secular world's understanding of of sexuality and identity, we take a little piece of that. If we like the mystical experience of the new age, we take a little piece of that and we sprinkle it on with a little bit of a quote that we saw on Pinterest. And then we have our understanding, our personal faith, our religion. We're, We're taught that that is what we're supposed to do. And that, friends, is a disembodied faith because it's formed in isolation. It's formed apart from anything else. And listen, if Christianity is just just that, just one idea among many ideas, I say go for it. But Christianity is not an idea. It's not just another religion. It's not the latest Amazon bestseller. It's not a philosophy. It's not a moral strategy. It has some of those things in it, but that's not what we celebrate at Christmas, that finally God brought us a new way of understanding religion. No, we celebrate that God gave us a person. God gave himself to us in Jesus Christ. Which is why you didn't hear an angel and and the armies of angels announcing, don't be afraid for I bring you good advice that's going to guarantee to make you happy. They don't say that. They say, I'll bring you good news of great joy. You see, you don't pick apart a person. If you came up to me and says, you know, Justin, I really like your personality, but I could take or leave your face. Um, I'd get it. But that's really mean. And when we bring that to Jesus, we, if we reduce Christian faith to just an idea that we get to mentally assent to at the places we want to, we do a disservice to a living, breathing God who doesn't want you to pick and choose because he is the king of the universe. This couldn't be more important for us to understand. Friends, too many of us have been, we've been given a Christianity that's little more than just good advice on how to make everything just a little bit better. The best version of yourself. But Christianity has never been, and it is not, and it never will be good advice. And T. Wright puts it this way. He says, many people today assume that Christianity is one or more of these things, a religion, a moral system, a philosophy. In other words, they assume that Christianity is about advice. But it wasn't and it isn't. Christianity is simply good news. 
It is the news that something has happened and as a result of which the world is a different place. So if that's true, what has happened? What has happened is is that a tiny baby boy was born into human history 2,000 years ago, stepping into our humanity in order to redeem it. C.S. Lewis famously says, he says, the Son of God became man to enable men to become the sons of God. Good advice tells you what you should do. Good news tells you what's already happened on your behalf. If I give you good advice about how to live your life, you can take it or if you can leave it. But if I tell you something that's happened, then you have a choice to say, how do I live in light of what's actually happened? That's a massive, massive difference. You know, the heart of our faith is not that we can find our way to God, but that God found his way to us. And more than anything, if there's a miracle in Christianity, if there's a miracle in Christmas, it's the central miracle that, that Christmas is the God, that the God of heaven meets us right where we are, not where we think we are. He meets us where we really are. Not at the best version of us. Not when we got it all figured out. Where you are right now is where God wants to meet you. And so if you came here today with the understanding that Christianity and services like this are are, are moralistic versions of figuring out how you can get to the place where God's finally going to accept you, I have bad news for you. That's not Christianity. Some people might call it that, but there's nothing like that in the scriptures. What God tells us in the scriptures is that God longs to meet you right here in your mess, in your struggles, in your doubts, in the places that you're just not really sure, God will not meet you outside of reality. God is so real that he only meets us in reality. So the more we pretend where we think we are or where we should be, the more we miss God in the present, right here and right now. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite theologians, he says, only the humble believe him. And rejoice that God is so free and so marvelous that he does wonders where people despair. That he takes what is little and lowly and makes it marvelous. And that is wonder of all wonders. That God loves the lowly. God is not ashamed of the lowliness of human beings. God marches right in. He chooses people as his instruments and performs his wonders where one would at least expect him. God is near to lowliness. He loves the lost, the neglected, the unseemly, the excluded, the weak, and the broken. Our central mission as a church community, what we believe is that Jesus is restoring people who restore the world. And Christmas is the beginning of that story where restoration begins to come. It's it's the origin of our mission as a community. And, And I don't know if you know this, but we're not a group of religious folks that think we have it figured out. Um, that we're not, absolutely not that. We are today the people who realized in our brokenness, Jesus is restoring us. And out of that restoration, out of what he's doing in us, we bring that restoration to the world around us. And in the same way that we've been met by God where we are, we've been given this mission to meet people right where they are with that same love. Not to expect people to come to us, but to go to where people are in reality. That's what shapes us who we are. That's what it means to be an incarnational people. What we believe isn't just doctrines. 
in our heart, but uh, if this is a movement, a movement of restoration that changes our world one person at a time. And it's not an accident that the church itself is called the body of Christ because we literally are called to embody the message and the mission of Jesus in our world, in our homes, at our jobs, at our schools, in our church, in our community. We are the embodiment of that message because Jesus became what he wants to say to us. We must become, as a community, we must become what we want to say to the world. Just an empty message of we want you to come to church and figure it out is going to fall on deaf ears. But if we decide in what Jesus has done in us, we're going to take on the embodiment of this love. We're going to live it right where we are. That's how things begin to change. So today as we close, there's a two-part invitation for all of us. It's the same invitation whether you've been a Christian for many years or you're doubting or you don't know where you are. First, it's an invitation not to believe good advice. It's an invitation today to believe the good news. He's not here to give you advice. He's here to announce that he has a kingdom that's coming on earth as, the, as, it, as it is in heaven. And he's longing for you to lay down your life and let him give you a brand new life, not based upon how you could get better, but based upon how you can be made new. This is the reality of what God came to tell us in Jesus, to redeem us where we are, to meet us where we are, and to restore us. And the second part of that invitation, as you believe good news, if you've never believed that good news before, and maybe that means unbelieving good advice or bad news, but the second part of that is this, is as we believe good news, it flows out of us that we would naturally be invited to be good news. Because what we've been given in Jesus, if you've received something, believe me, you're going to want to give it out. You're going to want others to receive it. There is so many caricatures of Jesus. This is what we were praying before the service today. There are, there's the Jesus you see on the evening news. There's the Jesus you see on Facebook and the internet. There's these caricatures of who he is. We prayed for you today before you came in that today all of those versions of Christianity, all those versions of Jesus that are not what we see in the scriptures would fall away and that you would see Jesus for who he is and that in the light of that you would see yourself for who you truly are. Because in the same way that Jesus laid down his life for us, he's calling to shape us, to redeem us, empower us to lay down our lives for our neighbors and lay down our lives for even our enemies. That's good news. That's good news. And so we're going to celebrate in a time of response now. And what I want to encourage us to do today is today, if you have run on this cycle of understanding the Christian faith as good advice to help you get better, I pray that you have the courage to lay that down today and to believe the good news that Jesus came for you. And if you want to make that decision, I, I want you to do this. I want you to either come, we're going to have a prayer team in the back and I'll be up front here. I want you to either come to us as we stand to do that or put it on your card. If you just want to put it on your card, I want to take that next step in, in following Jesus. I, I want to believe good news or I just want to know what that even means or take that next step. Let us know on one of your cards or come and let us pray for you. We're going to have a prayer team, like I said, up front, right here in the back as well. If you need prayer about anything that's going on in your life, we would love, love, love to pray for you. 
We're going to respond also in singing as well. We want to encourage you in this time to, to pray, to listen to what God might be speaking to you. So let this time be a time of response. And finally, we get the joy of celebrating communion, that God came for us. This is literally the ability to taste and see the redemption that we have in Jesus. The bread, it represents Jesus' body broken for us. The juice, it represents his blood shed for our sins. And each week we get to experience that we belong to him. This is the table of Jesus. And no matter where you are in your story, you are welcome to the table of Jesus because it's his table. It's his table. And if you're wondering, well, I'm not sure where I'm at and, and I'm not sure what I believe. Listen, he served communion to Judas at the last supper. I think you're good. Jesus is so welcoming, so, so welcoming to us in his love that maybe for the first time today, you take these elements and say, I don't know what I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. I want to take that next step in believing good news. So let me pray for us and we'll move forward. Jesus, thank you that you did not stay in heaven and send down a book or an idea when you saw our need you took upon every aspect of our humanity you lived your life perfectly without sin but you experienced our struggles and our pains Hebrews says that you're a high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses because you've experienced every temptation that we have every struggle that we have so, so we can come boldly before your throne of grace with confidence you didn't come to condemn us you came to set us free you came to save us so Jesus we receive you we receive your mission we receive your calling in our lives we pray this in your name amen why don't we stand